0: Lord God, pour out your spirit upon us to bring good news to the oppressed and let your word be fulfilled among us through Jesus Christ, our savior, amen. Our first reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses one through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass, their their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, Herald of good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good tidings, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're going to have two gospel readings this evening, but I'm going to significantly shorten the first one. Oh, I need to turn my microphone on. I think I'm going to stop at uh, verse 1, the very first verse of Mark's Gospel. Um, So listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church, and then we'll move on to the next Gospel, which is a slightly longer one. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. Thank you. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. I will admit that as I was preparing to lead off our series on evangelism, on taking back the E word is the, the kind of uh, language that I've used to do this before. I did not anticipate beginning this series two days after a well funded evangelical Christian movement aired. Two Super Bowl commercials aimed at, quote, spiritually open skeptics. Those of you who watched the Super Bowl on Sunday likely saw the He Gets Us campaign. Did anybody see that? Yeah. Um, And I'm sure you've seen lots of, you know, memes and stuff making fun of it for being um, not a particularly faithful interpretation of the gospel. Uh, Since then, we can talk about that a little bit more maybe in fourth word, or um, we will probably talk more about it uh, in a sermon a few weeks from now um, that has to do more with like a question about conversion and whether that's something that Christians ought to be concerned about or not. Um, But uh, it's not going to be a whole significant part of our sermon this evening unless you all make it one in fourth word. Um, I also didn't plan on beginning a sermon on or a series on evangelism a week after P-R-R-I. Do you all know what P-R-R-I is? Public Religion Research Institute. They're like the biggest religious research organization in the country. Um, They released their findings. If you listen to NPR, you would have heard a story about it today. They released their findings this week uh, that nearly two-thirds, let that number sink in, nearly two-thirds of white evangelical Christians in the United States are either avowed Christian nationalists or are sympathetic to the Christian nationalist movement. Two thirds of white evangelical Christians. Now, it is TBD whether those revelations are helpful or harmful to the aims of this series, but at a minimum, I think, its premise has been proved true. As far as popular perception is concerned, at least the word evangelical and the act or acts of evangelism belong almost exclusively to the political right. Even if we get past our binary predispositions, there are right-leaning moderates in this country who no longer want anything to do with the label evangelical because of its association with, shall we say, unsavory political movements. So why would this community of faith even bother with the word? I imagine is a question that may be on some of our minds this evening. And at the outset, I have at least two reasons that I think are helpful. Um, The first is the gospel. The content of Christian faith is referred to by a Greek word, euangelion. And you might hear some resonance there. A form of that Greek word appears 130 times in the 27 books of the New Testament. And from that Greek word derives our English words, Evangel, evangelism, evangelical, and so on and so forth. So simply its prominence in the foundational Christian literature should give us pause, I think, before doing away with the word completely as unimportant or irrelevant or even as inherently problematic to our faith. There is something that the New Testament authors believe is central to the Christian life, which is given voice in this word, euangalion, euangalidzo, evangelical, evangelism. Now, the second reason that I think we should bother with this word is our last sermon series. We went through this question Does Jesus really love me? And we tried to answer it in four different ways. We said, Yes, every time. Yes, the Bible tells me so. Yes, Christian theology tells me so. Yes, Christian ethics can tell us so. And then the last week when our guest preacher Jeff Chu was here, the, the response to the question, does Jesus really love me? A question that in that series and in his book is particularly pointed at LGBTQ Christians in this country. Um, his answer is yes, the church can tell us so. Which has me thinking... But what if the church is too concerned about being labeled an evangelical to tell anyone that Jesus loves them? Or more pointedly, what if the only churches who are rendered speechless by such concerns are the welcoming churches, the affirming churches, the justice-oriented churches, and all the ones who have no problem talking about Jesus out in public, well, they're less welcoming less affirming, less concerned with justice for the world outside. That's who's left to give voice, public voice, to divine love and welcome and belonging. And we have to ask ourselves, what are they saying about it? Who is going to hear their words and read their signs and conclude that God, if there is such a being, clearly does not love me? How can a church be a source of good news if its members are unwilling to share that news except for when we are cloistered in a room filled with people who have already heard it and already know it and already believe it? Are we any good to the world outside these walls? Now the fact is Christian faith and and Jewish faith and tradition before it is premised on the claim that there is good news which is not common sense which is not basic instinct, but which, if it is to have any effect, has to be shared, has to be proclaimed. And to give that idea some flesh, I want us to consider the only recently officially recognized national holiday of Juneteenth. Does everybody know basically what Juneteenth is? Okay, so a bit more about Juneteenth than you might know, just to put some dates and timelines on it. Juneteenth is celebrated on the 19th of June, which is the date of the arrival of federal troops in Galveston, Texas, in 1865 to enforce the law that President Lincoln had announced back on September 22nd, 1862. History man's here, you're going to have to make sure I get my, get my dates right. Um, in, in the Emancipation Proclamation, right? That law goes into effect not on the date that Lincoln announces it, but on January 1st of 1863. That law becomes the undisputed law of the land on April 9th of 1865 when the Confederate Army surrenders, ending the American Civil War. But for the residents of Galveston, Texas, and many others, and many other cities around the Deep South, the proclamation, the law, and even the war's end had no actual effect on their lives or the social structures under which they lived. For over two years, that's because half the country didn't recognize Lincoln's authority over their state codes, Um, though I think it is important to note that the authority he had was real, people just didn't recognize it. Um, Then, for two months after the Confederate surrender, the proclamation, the law, and the war's end continued to have no effect in Galveston simply because word didn't travel terribly fast in the mid-1800s. So the people in the farthest reaches of the nation had not yet heard the news. On paper, slavery was over in the United States, but in practice, it persisted until some messengers showed up and proclaimed the following. The state of Texas, the, excuse me, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. June 19th, 1865, two and a half years after the content of that proclamation was effective and true, it still had to be proclaimed in order for lives and communities to be changed by it. And so, the commemoration of black Americans' freedom from enslavement is not celebrated on September 22nd, when Lincoln gave the speech. It's not celebrated on January 1st, when the law went into effect. It's not celebrated on April 9th, when the Confederacy surrendered the war, though each of those dates witnesses some real act of emancipation. But freedom is celebrated on June 19th, Because someone had to deliver the good news so that people who would not otherwise have known it could hear it, could believe it, and could change their lives according to it. Now, in the world of 1865 in Galveston, Texas, the announcement that all slaves are free was not common sense. If it was an instinct, it was so against the dominant social and cultural current and was therefore an incredibly risky instinct for anyone to reveal. Um, True as the news those soldiers delivered may have been legally, ontologically, theologically, it's not until it's proclaimed to a particular people in the midst of their profound predicament that the truth of that word takes on flesh and recreates their lives in their communities, their lived experience in freedom. That's euangelizo. That's to evangelize, to proclaim good news. Now, when I was typing out this sermon on my MacBook computer, I accidentally force-clicked, which for Mac people, it brings up the definition, I force-clicked the Greek word euangelizo, which should not have brought anything up, but magically it brought up the English word evangelize, which apparently our dictionary defines as to convert or to seek to convert someone to Christianity. The dictionary definition of evangelize is to convert or to seek to convert someone to Christianity. Now, The funny thing about that is Christianity didn't exist when the New Testament authors penned that word. It certainly didn't exist when Jesus spoke the word. Eoangelizo in the New Testament has nothing to do with converting anyone to a religion. It is to proclaim good news. Now, it's true that between then and now, certain factions of the church have taken the word captive, have used it for their own purposes, which is why we're taking back the E word, But those are not the purposes of christ in the gospel according to luke the euangelion according to luke jesus begins his public ministry by reading from the prophet isaiah we heard it earlier the spirit of the lord is upon me because god has anointed me to do what to bring good news to the poor to euangelizo the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, Jesus comes into the world to be good news, proclaimed to a particular people in the midst of their profound predicament. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to convince you of certain metaphysical claims. He doesn't say, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me so that I might promise you an afterlife in heaven or threaten you with an afterlife in hell. No, that's, that's not what Jesus thinks he's doing here. It's the church who's found its way there. No, the purposes of Christ are the evangel is to bring good news to the poor, to liberate from oppression and captivity, to give new vision to those who can imagine no other way the present order of things. If that's what Christ means by evangelize, I wonder if we might just be willing to jump on that train. Yes? No? Or more likely for most of you, I imagine, you're probably already evangelical in its truest sense, and you just didn't know that that's what you were doing, (laughs) You probably proclaim and bring and manifest good news in people's lives all the time. And when you do that, you're euangelizing. It's not a word. We're going to use it anyway. Now, the gospel according to Mark, the evangel according to Mark, and the reason I say that is because the way we translate gospel comes from that same word, Yuangalidzo. The evangel according to Mark also begins with a quote from the prophet Isaiah, which we didn't read tonight, but it was the same reading that that we began with from Isaiah 40. Um, But it doesn't get to that quote before Mark's curious introduction, which we did read. Anybody remember what that first verse of Mark is? It almost reads like a title. The beginning, the beginning of the gospel, Yuangaliu, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Mark's evangel concludes, interestingly, in the middle of a sentence. So it starts the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel, as far as we can tell, ends at verse 8. Other people came along later and wrote an ending that looked more like Matthew's and Luke's, but Mark's gospel almost certainly ended at verse 8. And it ends with the word for, which is not a word that we end sentences with, is it? which suggests that something is coming next. But nothing comes. It just ends. Or maybe it doesn't. Maybe Mark's gospel intentionally doesn't end. He just stops narrating the evangelist's story at a certain point, perhaps perhaps because the next chapter in that story of divine liberation belongs not to the God-man, not to Christ himself, but to the church, to us. I know we all have our own stories of how we ended up in this place, but I want you to take a moment and consider yours. How did you end up in this community of faith? Did someone tell you about the Presbyterian Student Center? If so, what did they tell you? Did they tell you about our doctrine of atonement? Probably not. No, they told you about the wide welcome that you will receive when you walk through the doors. They told you that you would be free to be yourself, to voice your questions and your doubts and your complaints. They told you that you would be free to explore your beliefs about God and about life and about morality. Or maybe nobody told you anything. Maybe you saw a pride flag hanging from a building that said Presbyterian on it and you got curious. Or a Black Lives Matter flag. Whatever it was, by my read of Jesus, it is evangelism that brought you here. Someone said something that sounded to you like good news Or you saw a flag or a flyer that we put up and it read to you like good news. Because the liberating word must be proclaimed so that we who would not otherwise know may hear it, may believe it, may alter our lives according to this great love which binds human and divine life together in one. And aren't you glad that somebody told you? You can be that someone. Which is why we keep telling the story.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Amen.